0: Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? This is your boy, Isaac. And this is your boy, Bryce. And we are Brothers on Tennis. And guess what, y'all? We figured we would come to you today and talk with you about some of the basics of tennis. Because we recognize that there are a lot of new listeners to this podcast, and we want to make sure that you are fully equipped to follow what we're saying and understand the game of tennis. So we're bringing to you what we call... BOT or Brothers on Tennis 101. Bryce, how about that 101? Well, I want to put a disclaimer out there. So (laughs) we're going to give you kind
1: of a very high level overview of the game of tennis, the professional tour rankings, how the tournaments, the different surfaces. But if you're really remedial, you're going to need to put in some work yourself so, uh, <laughs> don't be scared i know this is not a college curriculum course so uh the 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 internet of things is is, is fairly free so right uh, get out there and do some research
0: yourself but hopefully this episode helps uh many of you many of our listeners that's right that's right so what we are going to start off is some of the basics and, and we're really going to start with scoring because we've heard from some of our listeners that they don't necessarily understand or can they or they can't follow the actual scoring of tennis. So tennis is really broken down into a few things. Initially, you have what are called points and you play a point. So the person served the ball, the opponent hits it back. And they keep it within the lines until someone either makes an error or hits a winner or whatever the case may be. And I probably need to explain uh, winners and errors as well. But in a nutshell, you play a, in a point and a point is the starting point of tennis. So whenever you as a as a server wins a point, it goes to what's called 15 love. Okay, And I know the scoring of tennis can be very, very confusing. Because some folks are like, why don't you just say one versus two? Um, and they actually do that in what's called world team tennis. But in the normal game of tennis, they have scoring, which is 15, 30, 40. And depending on if you are... are, are the same at the end of 40, and when I say the same, if you've earned three points, your opponent has earned three points, therefore it's 40-40, that is what a lot of people, not a lot of people, but that's what we call deuce, D-E-U-C-E. So you have deuce, and then at that point, it goes into what's called add or deuce. So if I am serving at deuce and I win the point, then it is my advantage or add in. If my opponent wins the point then it is their advantage or add out right so then whoever wins that next point well I shouldn't say that if it's add in and I win the next point then that's game for me if my opponent has add out and they win the 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 point then it is their game if if the opponent has add out and I win the point as the server it goes back to deuce and we repeat that cycle until someone actually earns two points and then they take that game. And I know that that is very, very, very confusing, but stick with me, folks. We're going to kind of bring that back. So again, yep. go ahead, Bryce. And and Isaac, I just wanted to add a couple things. So um, we,
1: we didn't define what zero is. And when you have no points, that's what we call love. So if the score is 1-0, to it would be 15-love. And the other thing that I just wanted to add is a good way to think about deuce is exactly like Isaac said, it represents when two players have both won three points each and they're tied. But when you're at deuce point, that means you have to win two points consecutively to win the game. So uh, if you lose the first point, then you actually have to win the next point to take it back to Deuce. So just wanted to make sure we threw out what love meant and also
0: what Deuce means from a playing standpoint when you're at that point. Absolutely. Great additions, Bryce. Yeah, And, and that's very key because you always hear love in the game of tennis, so you want to understand what that represents. So anytime someone says 15 love, 30 love, 40 love, that's basically saying that the person does not have any points. Whoever has love, they have not earned a point as of yet. All right? And if somebody beats you at love, they don't really love you. (laughs) Exactly. They're not showing you no love. Right? (laughs) They ain't showing you no love. Uh Uh-uh. So that's when you want to give them that love back. That's when you want to give the love back. Okay? Okay. So that is sort of the basics around points. So again, scoring is love or zero. Then you go to 15. Then you go to 30. And I know some people would be like, well, why don't you go to 45 since you're going in multiples of 15? I can't answer that question. (laughs) All I know is it goes from love, which is zero to 15, 30, and then 40. And then it goes back and forth between the deuce and the advantage like Bryce was mentioning. So that is sort of the points And the initial scoring as it relates to tennis and so when you get a game That is where you actually start taking a set score now a set is Anything up to the number of games being six now there are certain certain Differences to that which I will, will, will go into a little bit further, but anytime you can win six games You actually can win a set so You can win a set 6-love or 6-0. You can win a set set 6-1 or 6-2 or 6-3 or 6-4. All of those are valid set scores. But you cannot win 6-5, okay? You have to win your set by two games, even though there's even a difference there. So if you are at six games, or let's just say you're at five games, And your opponent is at four and they hold their serve and then it's five all well when you if you hold your serve and it becomes six five you don't win that set because you have to win by two now if after the server if you were able to take that that next game then you could actually win the set and the set score would be seven five because you've won now by two games but In that scenario, if your opponent actually holds that game, it then becomes 6-6. And what then gets implemented is what they call a tiebreaker. Okay? So, Bryce, I just want to stop right there. Is that enough as it relates to set scoring? Is there anything that I missed in there that I should quantify with our listeners? No, I think you did a great job. Awesome. Fantastic. So. If we are at 6-6, everyone, then we go into what's called a tiebreaker. And a tiebreaker is it follows a very different scheme in the sense that whoever can get to seven points will actually then win the tiebreaker. But you have to get to seven points and win by two. So similar to how we were talking about when you're at 6-5, you don't win. That's the same thing in a tiebreaker. You play points and whenever you get up to seven, if you have an advantage of two, you can win that particular tiebreaker and thus win the set. But if you're in the tiebreaker and the score is six five, you don't win. The person has to win that next point and get to seven five. But if they don't and it gets to six all, You continue to play that those points until someone can win two points in a row and you then win by two. So the set score can be tiebreak score can be eight, six, nine, seven, ten, eight, eleven, eleven, nine, so on and so forth. So that's sort of the scoring for the actual tiebreaker. So if you can win by two points, then you win the tiebreaker and thus you win the actual set. Okay. Anything i miss missing there, Bryce? Because you know, it's kind of crazy when it gets to set scores and tiebreakers. <laughs> no, doing a great job. Awesome, awesome. So that is what makes up a particular set in tennis. And most times on the WTA tour, um, not most times, but all the time, uh, they play what's called the best two out of three sets. Meaning that if you can win two sets from your opponent, you've then won the match, okay? And then that's when, that's when it's, it's, it's done and you move on in the draw, which we'll probably have to explain that as well. But for the most part, if it's best two out of three, that means you have to win two sets in order to win that match. And the same thing holds true on the men's side for the majority of their tournaments, excluding the Grand Slams so their tournaments are basically best two out of three again if they can win two sets from their opponent out of the three then they actually win the match and then they move in move on in the particular draw that they're in okay and so that's how you talk about matches now in a grand slam on the men's side it's a little different because they actually go best three sets out of five so only in the grand slams and I well, actually it's not just the Grand Slams, it's also the year-end championships, but we'll talk about that <laughs> in a few minutes. But in the Grand Slams for the men, uh, it is best three sets out of five. So that means you have to take three sets in order to win the match out of a total of five. So if you win three in a row, you don't have to play sets four and five. Or if you win the first two sets, you lose a set, and then you win the fourth set, you've won that match. So again, best three out of five, four Grand Slams for the men. And um, I think at a high level, Bryce, I think that kind of covers scoring. Do, do you, is there anything that I should add or, or what do you think? No,
1: I think that was great. Um, and once again, if listeners are interested in, in understanding more of the history of the game, more of the history of how the scoring came about, why it goes from 30 to 40 instead of 30 to 45, the Internet is your friend. So <laughs> That's right. Enjoy that. So, what I like to do right now is I like to talk about the surfaces. Now, what is key to understand is that every tennis court is not built the same way. And what I mean by that is, yes, every tennis court has the same measurements and the same dimensions, but the actual surface of the court can be different. And there are four main surfaces that tennis is played on. Clay, hardcore, grass, and what we call indoor or carpet. Now, when we say carpet, no, we're not talking about what's in your grandmother's living room, right? We're not talking about the shag. No, we're not talking about the shag. <laughs> we are talking about a synthetic surface that is really placed on top of like almost wooden boards indoors that simulates kind of a hard court surface so a lot of times the indoor surface and hard courts are viewed very similarly now these four surfaces that you know tournaments are played on they all have different attributes and and i like to walk through them from the slowest to the fastest so the slowest surface is clay and that clay court tournaments are really all throughout the year believe it or not but their main season is really pretty much in the spring and the key attributes with clay is that it is the slowest of all surfaces it really responds well to spins especially top spin very high bouncing balls and it slows down the pace of the game so typically players that have big serves those are nullified a bit on clay. And for those people that are typically more consistent with the ground strokes and like to rally and have longer points that build, they typically do better on clay. Clay is also a surface where you probably have uh, some weaker footing there because many times you actually have to slide into your shot versus actually running up to it, planting your feet and hitting. So if you're not used to that motion of actually sliding into your shot that could be a difference then you have hard courts and hard courts are probably the truest of all the surfaces because they're they're very even you have a consistent bounce they're faster than clay and I've always regarded them as probably the most even surface for, for all playing styles. Now, the hardcourt season is usually in the late part of the summer. There is a small hardcourt season at the beginning of the year, and it's probably the only surface that has two kind of true broken up sections in the year, beginning of the year and late summer. Now, hard courts are most prevalent in the United States and I should have mentioned that clay courts are, are most prevalent in Europe and in South America Now with a hard court you do get the the benefits of all your spins big servers um, Have an advantage on hard court the the, the pace of play is relatively uh, quick and uh, it is this surface for the Grand Slam tournament, the U.S. Open, and I should have mentioned that the clay Grand Slam tournament is the French Open. Then you have indoor, and indoor, once again, is very close to hard court. The difference is, it's maybe even a little faster than a hard court, but it has a lower bounce as well. So typically. Once again, players that have big serves, maybe are, are more interested in shorter rallies or coming into the net, uh, they tend, those type of players tend to do well on indoor surfaces. Now, the indoor season, as you could probably imagine, is in the fall and the back half of the year. Now, we don't have any Grand Slam tournaments indoor, but we do have the year-end championships that are typically played indoor. And then finally, the fastest surface has always traditionally been grass. And grass has the shortest season of all of them in the middle of the summer, about a four week span. And they have the granddaddy of the Grand Sam tournaments, and that would be Wobble. Now with grass courts, People with big serves and balls that slide, and whether they slide because of a low slice or because they're getting bad bounces and the ball is sliding and hitting uh, a painted line, it makes playing on the surface sometimes a little bit unpredictable. So it rewards the player that wants the shorter point. If you're the type of player that's looking to be out there and to hit 15 and 20 rally Uh, points that's probably not going to hold up on grass now one of the things that I want to say about all the surfaces with the exception of maybe clay and indoor so I guess I'm really talking about grass and and hardcore because the style of play over the last 20 years has become more about uh, baseline rallies and, and powerful ground strokes and powerful serves Uh, Many tournaments have taken a measure to slow down the courts. So on a hard court, the more sand that you add into the paint mixture, the slower you can make the court. And I remember a number of years back when they intentionally did that at the U.S. Open. Also on grass, the way that you manicure the grass and different types of grass that you may grow can slow or speed up the the pace of play as well so in general most of the surfaces are a little bit slower than they used to be but those are your four main surfaces that all tournaments are played on isaac any additional comments about the
0: surfaces no no i think you handled that and and it was very clear my man very good great well let's transition now
1: into now you know how to keep score and now you know you know what the different surfaces are let's talk about the actual tournaments that the professional players play so there are two tours obviously there's the men's tour that is called the ATP the Association of Tennis Professionals and then there's the WTA for the women which is the Women's Tennis Association now There are a couple of things or tournaments that the men's and the women's tour have in common, but the majority of the tours are separate. Now, something that they share is the most or the biggest tournaments that the men and the women play are what we call the majors, or they are also called the Grand Slam tournaments. And you're probably already aware of what those four are. The Australian Open, French Open, the U.S. Open, and Wimbledon. Now, with these majors, or like we say, Grand Slam tournaments, if you win all four of them in a calendar year, only in a calendar year, so that meant you won the Australian first, you won the French next, you won Wimbledon next, and you won the U.S. Open next, then that's called a Grand Slam. A lot of time people call the individual tournaments Grand Slams of Wimbledon, talk about Wimbledon, the US Open, the French, Australian. That is not true. Those are not considered Grand Slams. They are considered Grand Slam tournaments. And four Grand Slam tournaments in the same calendar year equates to winning the Grand Slam. And it's very interesting because I was looking up a bit of history on this, like where did that term come from? And believe it or not, the term comes from a, a card game called Wisp. And, and Isaac and I are very familiar with a variation of that game that we've grown up playing with our families called Bid Wisp. That's right. And in that game, if you won all of the tricks or the books but one, that was called a small or a little slam. If you won all the tricks or books, that was called a Grand Slam. And the funny thing is, we always grew up, you know, in my family, in my community, if you won all the books, that was called going to Boston. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's that's what we called it. But it was actually back in the day called a Grand Slam. And golf was the first sport to pick up that name and to start referring to it as their major tournaments in their sport. And tennis was right behind. So when you come below the majors, the next most important tournament for both the men and the women is their year-end championships. Now, this is something that Isaac's gonna talk a little more about when he talks about rankings in a few minutes, but for the top eight women and men's players, they play a tournament at the end of the year that's called the year-end championships, and many times, it helps to determine who's going to be the the number one year-end player for that year. That tournament is only uh, second to the majors. And then when you come down to the next level, the men have what we call Master Series tournaments. And there are nine of them that they play throughout the year. And it'd be interesting to see if I can remember them. You have Indian Wells, Miami, Monte Carlo, Madrid, Rome, Canada. Cincinnati, Shanghai, and Paris. Nice. Very good. Yeah. So uh, these tournaments are heavily weighted, uh, and you usually have a very good turnout from all the top players. Now, the women's equivalent to the Masters, even though I, they have, I think, more than nine, uh, they're called the Premier Tournaments. And once again, that just means they're one of the higher uh, tournaments in terms of money, in terms of points. And you usually get all of most, if not most, if not all of your top ranked players uh, out to those tournaments. And then the final level I'm going to cover uh, is for the men below the Masters, or sometimes they call them, uh, you know, the 1,000 series. Is you have the 500 series, and once again, just another level down from the Masters. Uh, and on the women's side they're called the International tournaments. So as it relates to this podcast, we typically will only talk about the majors, the year-end, the premier and the masters, and the international and the 500s. The men also have 250 level tournaments, and they have kind of like the minor league, right, with the challengers and the ITF. Uh, The women have a minor league as well. And the men also have a level that is specific to the Olympics every four years. So we wanted you to understand what the different levels of tournaments were when we're talking to you throughout the year. So when we say it's a Master Series, you know what that means. When we say it's a Grand Slam tournament, you know what that means.
0: Um, Isaac, is there anything
1: about tournaments that you want to add?
0: Um, no, nothing really about the tournaments, but basically how the tournaments then kind of feed into what's considered to be the rankings for the players. Um, so I think that's a good transition into that. Um, you know, players have rankings. So, you know, we've had a, a lot of females being the number one ranked player in the world. Um, Ash Barty was the number one player. You've got uh, Naomi Osaka, who was the number one player. Um, Serena's been the number one player for a good majority of her career. Venus Williams was the number one player for about eleven weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Shame. We still love you, V. Yeah, still <laughs> love you, V. Um, but overall, just at a high level, I want to give you some perspective on how the rankings are established for both the men and women's tour, and it's pretty much similar across the board. So I'm not going to go into too much detail there, but for the most part. Um, you have 16 tournaments that typically make up uh, a player's ranking. Um, it starts off with the Grand Slam tournaments that Bryce talked about. So uh, basically, how well you did in the Grand Slam tournaments, being Australian Open, the French Open, otherwise known or heard or, or referred to as Roland Garros, uh, Wimbledon, as well as the U.S. Open. So those four Grand Slams count towards your ranking. Um, outside of those four tournaments, then you've got what's called uh, nine or the Master Series 1,000 events that, that Bryce talked about or the Premier Events or Tier 1, I'm not sure if, if that's the same term or not, but basically it's those uh, those, tier, those Tier Premier Events on the women's side and there are about nine of those as well. And so you take the four Grand Slam tournaments, and then you take your Premier and/or Master Series events, which is about nine. So those are 13 tournaments that count towards your ranking. And then they have three other floating tournaments. So think of them as like floating days off. Uh, you can pick whichever <laughs> one you want; doesn't matter. But it will count. So if you decide that you know you want to you know take the day after uh, um, after Christmas off, then hey, that is your floating holiday. Same thing on the from a rankings perspective. You can take the, the three tournaments where you perform the best at outside of the four Grand Slam tournaments and the Premier Slash Master Series tournaments, and you can count those towards your ranking. So overall, you have 16 tournaments that make up your ranking as a player, both on the ATP tour and the WTA tour. Now For those of of those players who are able to qualify or be within the top eight of the rankings by the end of the season, they are then invited to participate in what's called the year-ending championships. And both the WTA and the ATP have year-end championship events. So it's very advantageous for you to try and finish or, or have your ranking be in the top eight by the end of the season, because if you do, then you're invited to that tournament, and that's where you make up, or that's where the 17th tournament plays into your ranking. If you get invited, you actually get to play matches against the other top eight players in the world, or top seven players in the world, and depending upon how you do, if you actually win, you get points that count towards your ranking. So that's really cool because those are points that no one else outside of the top eight are able to actually acquire. So you really wanna finish anywhere in the top eight so that you're invited to those year in championships and then again, you get extra points for that. So for the top eight, their rankings are made up of 17 tournaments. It's the 16 I mentioned, which again, the three grand, four Grand Slam tournaments, you've got your nine Master Series uh, Premier events, and then you've got your three floaters. And then again, if you finish in the top eight, then you've got your year-ending championships. And all of those points then make up your ranking. And there is a rolling ranking system, if you will. So uh, just because you finish the year at number one doesn't mean that you're number one for, for the following year. It runs on a 52-week cycle, if you will. So as your results from the previous year um, come up, so say for instance, I you know, showed out at the Australian Open and I got to the semifinals. Well, the following year, let's say I got upset in the second round. Well, guess what? There's a whole lot of points that you unfortunately won't have. So those points will come off of your ranking and you will drop in the rolling ranking uh, uh, results. So whereas you may have been who knows, uh, the 16, number 16 player in the world going into the Australian, when those semifinal results roll off and you you know, got bounced out in the second round, you could then end up being number 25 player in the world. So again, rankings run on a cycle, but overall your goal is to really deliver the best 17 results in a calendar year, and then that makes up your year ending ranking. And that's why a lot of people are trying to push for that number one year in ranking, because it means that over the calendar year, you were by far the best player across all of the tournaments that we just uh, just talked about. So that at a high level is the the ranking system. Bryce, did I miss anything? Is there anything else relevant that we should uh, we should talk about in there? Um, the only thing that I might would add
1: is that as we talk about the tournaments and your ranking, did, you know, the seeding, right? Ah, that's right. That's right. Yes, please go ahead. Go ahead so, and talk
0: about that seeding.
1: So most tournaments, and I can say pretty much all tournaments except for Wimbledon, <laughs> they go <laughs> the week before it's time to do the draw. So the draw for the tournament where, where the players are going to be uh, placed to, to compete against each other. What they have to do is they take the rank, the current rankings, whatever they are, and whoever's number one in the world is the number one seed. Whoever's number two in the world, they're the number two seed. Uh, and then they either, you know, seed, you know, eight, 16, 32, depending upon how many people are in the tournament. And then if you're not seeded, uh, and you're able to have what they call main draw entry your ranking is high enough to just get direct entry into the main draw then at that point you're randomly drawn and placed into the draw Uh, if you're not able if your ranking is not high enough for you to have direct entry into the main draw most tournaments have what they call a quality tournament tournament or what we call a pre-qualification tournament so play a little mini tournament the week or the weekend before, and there's usually a number of of spots held in the tournament for maybe the top two, the top four, larger tournaments, top eight people that played in the quality tournament for them to be able to play in the main draw. So Wimbledon being that one exception, what they will do is because the grass court season is so short, and I think I mentioned it's only about four weeks, they will take into consideration not only your ranking, but your prior results on the surface, not only at Wimbledon, but also in the grass court lead-up tournaments to Wimbledon. So they usually don't make huge adjustments, but if you have somebody, let's say, like uh, Roger Federer, who has won Wimbledon eight times, and you have someone like, let's say, Rafael Nadal, who may be ranked a position ahead of him, but has only won Wimbledon twice. Well, what they'll do is they'll they may switch that and put Roger number two and Rafa as number three, and that's actually a real life situation that happened this year at Wimbledon, and and we heard about it. But um, <laughs> it was uh, that's the only tournament that will really do that, and 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 I'm not, I'm not going to get on my soapbox here. I I really don't have an issue with that concept. What I have an issue with Rumbledon is that they only do it for the men. Right. And if this strategy makes so much sense, why don't you do it for the women as well? So, you know, it's twenty nineteen. We're still trying to get things equal and right. And that's one area where it's still not. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's the only thing that I would add to the uh
0: the rankings with the tournaments awesome awesome so Bryce I kind of have a a little change up for you here because I know that we want to also talk about some of the kind of terminology that we as brothers on tennis use across uh our our different uh podcast shows I'm thinking we may want to do maybe a BOT102 and then that way we can kind of keep ourselves focused in on what we've covered here, which is scoring surfaces, tournaments, rankings. That's a nice little package. I think 102 would be really nice so that we can kind of then bring in the special special things that we bring to uh, this this wonderful game. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I guess that's what we'll do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you go, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know, we're
0: real flexible around here. (laughs) That's right. Folks, what we will do is we'll go ahead and we're going to go. We're gonna kind of uh, let this one go and we're going to come at you with a part two because really when we start talking about some of the things that Brothers on Tennis are known for, you know, Jolly whopped and breadsticks and things like that, we want to be able to, to have a little fun with that. And I know that we're pushing on the time right now. So I'd say let's go ahead and wrap up and we will come back at you and, with part two of this. All right. So this is Bryce. And
1: this is Isaac. And we are Brothers on Tennis, and we'll see you for part two.